Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. He will tell you that you need about $18,000 a month before you can drive a Mercedes and that keeping cash, too much of it, is a terrible idea if you want to build your wealth, even if you can get close to 4% in T-bill payouts. What's the best way to beat inflation in today's market and grow your money? I'm checking in with my friend. He is a YouTuber and he has 43,000 followers on YouTube. You can check him out at Josh Consultancy. When it comes to financial planning we all want to do better and sometimes i think there are voices out there that can really help us on our journey and i want to feature one today josh tan joining me live here on money fm 89.3 josh great to meet you you're the astute parent that's the name of your consultancy and youtube channel right yes thank you for the invite it's a pleasure to be here fantastic josh when did you decide that you were going to take your financial prowess and put it all out there on youtube what were you doing before YouTube came into your life? You know, my, my son also asked me this question. Daddy, daddy, what, what, what do you do as a job? You know, schools these days, they'll ask students to find out what their parents are working as. So ever since I've graduated, I work as a financial advisor. Ah. So I told him, hey, I work as a financial advisor. And all he had was a blank stare. What does that mean? Right. So then I had to explain, you know, I help people invest. But that's still something he didn't quite understand. So eventually I told him, oh, daddy teaches money topics. You know, finance is money, right? So money topics on YouTube. So it can cover on how to save money, how to spend money, how to buy a house, how to buy a car. So these are things that I cover a lot on channel is it's a passion of mine. It's a passion. I can feel it in your videos, Josh. I love them. The way you talk to us definitively, you need $18,000 per month before you drive a Mercedes. Why is that, Josh? That 18000 is a is a nice hook, you know. <laughs> you know, when we create content, it always is important to, to, to justify a point of view and mm. to get people to think a bit deeper. Yeah. So I put that 18,000 is a figure as a hook Mm -hmm. and uh, let audiences decide for themselves whether that number is exaggerated or maybe it isn't. I like how you're leaving us on tenterhooks there, but I will get into the mind of Josh, the money mind, because we want some, you know, uh, real tips and, and we want to understand your paradigm of, of money management as well. So let me ask you a broad general question. In today's market, given inflation in Singapore, um, what is the best way to grow one's money now? Is it, would you say, a substantial amount should be invested in T-bills? Well, I, I love this because uh, right now I see a lot of objection on my channel with regards to investing into things that have been trending downwards in prices. The allure of T-bills as well as fixed deposits right now is very strong. You're, you're given 3 or 4% and it's all guaranteed after a year. Now, so this whole idea of avoiding investing is getting stronger and stronger, which is something I advocate against because good investing is always buying when things are cheap. That's where you actually make money in the buying process, not in the selling process. So I would like to advocate for each and everyone not to think too much into stashing monies into safe assets Mm -hmm. because over time that doesn't beat inflation. If you had this conversation three years back, everybody would be thinking, oh, fixed deposits are zero or one percent, something like that. And back then, everybody was gravitating towards investing where markets could actually be high at a point of time. Yeah. So reverse that point of view. Don't be too afraid of taking something that's different from what everybody's gravitating towards. Over time, they'll pay off. 
Okay, so your your point of view is that investing is key to be a, being able to grow your savings for retirement. You still need to be part of the equities market. Yes, absolutely. Because through history, we've seen that equities or real estate are assets that will beat inflation. So high inflation has always been around. It's not like something new or never experienced. Of course, in the last 15 years, this is a new uh, building new trend. But if we see back in terms of 1980s, you realize that inflation was also very high. Mm. So what asset classes would deliver you know, people returns above inflation? Those are lessons we can pick. Your most popular video on your channel has over 85,000 views. It's titled, Are All Singaporeans Rich? Now, some say we need $7,000, others more than $15,000 every month to live comfortably. So let me put that question to you. Are mm. all Singaporeans wealthy, Josh? I think when we look around our friend circle, it kind of shapes our expectation. So if you ask someone who's in the wealthier circle, they'll, they'll think everybody's rich. But if you ask someone in a more basic neighborhood, mm-hmm. the answer will be very different. Mm-hmm. And the same goes, you know, uh, unless you're the richest person in the world, we are all kind of like the average of the five people that we spend time with. So that really shapes our expectations. So it depends on the neighborhood that you, 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 you live in, the, the friend circle that you have. And I've also, I've also this, uh, mentioned quite often on my channel, Regardless of whichever neighborhood you stay in, you realize there's always someone richer than you. So that, that thing of uh, someone having more money, you, you do not have enough, is always a, a recurring topic that will come about. Why do you think that's one of your most popular videos? Is it something about, you know, Singaporeans are curious how much everybody else is earning and whether or not they measure up? You know, why do you think that particular video has been so popular? I think the hook is also very good for for that particular content because the title reads, you know, uh, how much do you need to live comfortably? So comfortably, it's subjective. It's very tricky to answer. (laughs) Again, uh, our buses here are comfortable, but some people feel it's not good enough. Our trains here are comfortable, but some people feel it's not, not good enough. So comfortably, that part is something that we all think, could we have a place that's better, nicer, mm. more comfortable? And as we get to somewhere that's supposedly more comfortable, we realize there's something bigger and nicer to chase after. So it's always a curious uh, thought that many would have. Do I need more income? Mm. Am I missing out on something? So that's why I, I guess that video did well yeah, in that sense. I think it is that fear of missing out. And what is everybody earning? And how comfortable mm. is everybody? Where I, where am I in the social pecking order? Curious, curious. Curiosity, I think, fueled that. So what are your thoughts on retirement and your sense? Are more Singaporeans finding it difficult to retire, in your opinion? Or are people becoming uh, even more financially savvy and being, you know, growing even more optimistic about planning for retirement. I love this topic on retirement. It's a key topic that I discuss and also a a special age that I have with my channel also. Hmm. In terms of retirement, I guess we should all think back. We're all quite fortunate to have a good pension system, CPF. Not all countries have a good pension system whereby you can rely on it to build up your wealth even if you don't really want to invest, you don't really know how to do so. So if you use CPF system well enough, you do your basic top-ups, it can get you to a basic level of retirement already. That's the objective that they promised. And I think it's delivered for many generations. So in terms of finding it harder and harder to retire, I guess a lot of it boils back down to expectations. I have a video that I show you $1.6 million is what you need for this expected lifestyle you want to retire. But I've also shown a different side. Mm. If you only have 500000 what are the sets of conditions that you need in order still to retire? Of course, you'll be different standard of living but it doesn't mean that you are less happy. So that's, that's again, back to 
all our expectations. And the key part is this. Retirement is always a personal responsibility. We cannot put all the, all the effort on government side or our parents or our children. Let's take personal responsibility. And a key mission that I have is to really educate people to know a bit more so that they can take a bit of action today. Mm. And hopefully in 10 years time, you'll compound to something that can help them be happy in their retirement. That's wonderful. That's that's the point of this show as well. We're all about financial literacy mm. here on Your Money. I'm speaking with Josh Tan. You can find him on YouTube. Uh, the channel is called The Astute Parent. Correct, Josh? Yes, yes. Fantastic. So I understand that you sold your three-room flat back in 2023 um, mm. for $437,000. I'm not sure what the buying price was. Would you share that with our listeners? And why did you do yes, that then? 373000 Three hundred seventy-three. You sold it for four hundred thirty-seven thousand. Uh-huh. Um, tell us about why you made that decision. I understand the market wasn't exactly the friendliest then, but you decided to sell anyway. Is that right? Oh, actually, the market was a bit friendlier back a year ago as compared to now. Mm-hmm. All the stories I'm hearing, it's a, it's a bit slower than last year. I started marketing end of last year, so you know, for property transactions, it takes months. Yeah. Which means you decide to sell end of the year, you might get it completed at start of the year. Kind of a time frame. Okay, let me back up a little bit. Were you, were mm. you living in this home? Why did you decide to sell it then? Okay, so I've actually moved to this place. It's a private home. And back then, uh, the story is in 2017, I wanted to keep the HDB flat for rental income. So I paid ABSD additional buyer stamp duty for this private place back in 2017. Mm. And my intention was to keep the HDB flat. Yeah, so that was the goal. And uh, along the way, I've received rental income, mm-hmm. built up wealth through that process. But it don't on me also that it is, in my opinion, quite unlikely that government will remove away ABSD anytime soon at least. Mm. So my fears were, if I were to make changes to property, would I need to face ABSD again or not? If my name was tied in the HDB flat. Right. So that's a big topic. Mm. And I realized I needed to make my moves back then. So to sell it, of course, the process is very long. The marketing process was end of last year. A slightly friendlier environment and we've gotten beats and uh, eventually I accepted one that matched my expectations. And that's how I moved on. Okay, fantastic. Good to know. All right, let's talk a little bit about CPF. We mentioned it earlier on. Mm -hmm. Prime way that most Singaporeans build up their wealth for retirement. Uh, The CPF monthly salary ceiling is going to be raised Mm -hmm. in stages. It'll hit $8,000 by 2026. First Mm -hmm. round of changes, September 1st, 2023. The monthly salary ceiling increase to $6,300 is going to rise further. So basically, more of your disposable income is going to be moved to your CPF. You'll also get um, additional payments on that from your employer, right? So what do you think Singaporeans need to understand about the new CPF monthly salary ceiling that's just kicked in from September Mm -hmm. and what it means for their disposable income and their spending habits? You know, for a long time, this CPF salary ceiling has not been raised. If I'm wrong, the last revision is like in 2015, where it raised from five to 6,000. So really, along the last seven, eight years, we haven't kept pace with inflation for this ceiling itself, which means mm-hmm. if you earn above that, that amount, previously or $6,000, what you were only contributing to CPF was that first 6,000, you had, in essence, slightly more take-home pay. So if this revision to keep pace with inflation, your take-home pay may be slightly lower but again, you're contributing to your own future. So I do support it. I think it helps us all force safe a bit better for our own future. 
you know, as full time sum increases, our contribution should increase also to keep pace with it. So that's something I support. And of course, uh, you mean that slight difference in terms of take home. But again, a focus on the long term that will help you understand the rationale behind this, this entire process. All right. Let's switch gears now. Look at the astute parent, the channel. I know many kids that I speak with nowadays, they're three, they're four. You ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say a YouTuber. Well, children, I have a real YouTuber with me today. And we're going to find out how he grew his channel. So 2016, you start the astute parent. Uh, It's one of Singapore's most popular finance YouTube channels today. Congratulations on all your success. I understand you produce about eight videos a month. Uh, Quite impressive. You're a dad. Um, you still have a full-time job besides this or is YouTubing your full-time job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have two full-time jobs. Eh? So YouTube two. is full-time. My advisory work is you, is full-time also. <laughs> so I have to toggle time between uh, two sides. And your videos are self-made. You produce them yourself. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Right. Film right here in my own living room. There. Right there. <laughs> We're looking at the studio. Fantastic. Why, why did you start the channel? Was there a certain tipping point, an event that inspired mm. your decision? I actually realized that we were all going visual back in 2019. Previously, I was writing more on blogs, written format. Uh. Yeah, so I actually have a website, The Estil Parent also. And the traditional finance influencing was written format. Yeah. But I realized in 2019, everything was going visual. Mm. That's why I realized I needed to learn that side of it. Maybe visual is the future, which of course now we see it's obvious. But back then in 2019, it wasn't like that. Yeah. There wasn't someone I could mirror against. The, the candidates that were showing me a blueprint were mainly from US. Mm. So in that sense, that's where I decided, okay, maybe I need to learn video editing, filming, scripting in a, 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 an engaging way for video format. So there's a key difference also. When you do written format, it's, it's just a dialogue. Whereas in video format, you can pull in diagrams, you can explain things, you mm. can use tone to stress on certain points that, you know, a written format cannot. Yeah. So I, I realized there was a big change and thankfully I made, you know, that brave decision to commit some time towards learning it. And the, the journey was hard, of course. So <laughs> anyone listening in, you want to be a YouTuber, understand also the learning curve is hard. Look long term. Look to a topic that you are passionate about mm-hmm. so that you can do it for years and that's where you build mastery. I like that. I like that. So you think you really need to love your subject in order to yes. be successful, particularly on YouTube, yeah? Yes, yeah, it's all absolutely. about d- diving deep. So how, how, what would you say has been key to growing your subscriber pool? I guess some of the things that I've displayed along the years, consistency. So first thing, you need to prove to the algorithm they are consistent. You mm. need to prove to audiences also that you are consistent. Mm-mm. And also be, be saying what you do. I think that's, that's very, very, very important also. So be accountable. I think that's something that helped me grow my channel. So people know it's not something I mentioned that I don't mean it. I think that builds that credibility also. So each and every method, you need to prove your way to the market. And for the finance space, I think my blueprint is something like that, to be consistent and to, to mean what I say also in a lot of ways. When did you start your investing journey, Josh? Oh, that was back in uh, university days, actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So back then, it was age of 21. They can mm. open your trading account and stuff. But right now, rules are 18 years old already. So back when I was a university student, yeah, it's 18 years old. Right now, you can open with a uh, SingPass. So back when I was in university, there was a lot of uh, trading, a lot of speculation. You know, when you're younger, you tend to want to be more ambitious and, and hurried in mm. your decision making. Mm-hmm. And it's always a learning curve. Do which you remember I think your is, first stock? What? My, my first stock? Do you remember buying your first stock? What that, what that was? Oh, it has to be something in Singapore, I guess. Probably Singtel. <laughs> oh. 
Oh, interesting. Have you held on to it? No. So, uh, <laughs> so that was in a phase where you're experimenting. You're always hopping to the next wonderful idea. So, you know, the secret of investing is you have to be patient with it. You have to be willing to take rides up and down with it. Mm. So if you're impatient, sometimes you won't get results. Sometimes you beat yourself over it and you are focusing on the wrong thing. So this is a learning curve. Were you self-taught then? Uh, was it sort of an environment where all, all of you in university were sort of trying to figure it out yourselves, investing or, you know, did you all take I, some I courses? I a close friend hmm. uh, whereby, you know, we were talking about stocks, uh, stock ideas all day long. There, in universities, there are investment committees or investment clubs. So anyone listening in, I guess if you're passionate, you should join those clubs. Back then, for my time, it wasn't that well developed. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think financial literacy is a bit more in schools already. Yeah. Oh, okay. Join an investor club. I was in the wrong club then. You know what I was doing? I was a student counsellor. So I was giving up my weekends. Oh. I was manning phone lines, talking to university students who were super stressed out. But, you know, hey, look at me now. Conversations, how I make my living. So not wasted time there. So really interesting. So um, investing, self-taught. And then, and then what was your worst, do you think, investing mistake? The early mistakes. Pull up, pull out a couple for us. Wow. I think you, the worst idea I had was actually not in the investment front. I actually started a, an ice cream business. Ooh. So that cost me a lot of money and that cost me a lot of time. In so university? What, what? This was when you were in university or after? That was after I graduated, about age 25 or 26. Wow. Yeah, so I was doing advisory work. Okay. I had spare time in afternoons whereby customers, they are busy. Right? So I was thinking, could I, could I make some more income or not? So my biggest loss is on that front, it's on the business front, whereby you try to build a product, you try to build a brand where you do not have expertise. You're just trying with no basis that you'll work. And there's a lot of naivety in that, that whole uh, project itself. So long story short, that ice cream business folded. Mm. I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of time also. Mm. So that cost me a lot more than investment mistakes. Okay, let's get into your money habits. We do this with all our guests. Um, are you a natural saver? Definitely, definitely. I have to say what I preach. <laughs> definitely. And savings a bedrock for growing your wealth, right? What do you say yes, to Singaporeans right. out there who might be finding it difficult? Prices are going up. Things are very much more expensive all around them. You see in the supermarkets. They're finding it difficult to save. What do you want to say about saving? Wow. I, I guess there are a lot of little saving hacks that you can learn about. All the information is out there. Mm. Myself, my peer channels talk about saving hacks all the time, I guess. Hmm. So the information is not the real gap. I think it's more of the willingness to make changes. I think that's important because saving hacks ideas are there, but you have to, you have to adopt it. And that saying goes, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. If you're spending a dollar more in a drink, that's how you spend a hundred dollars more on the furniture. Mm. So squeeze each and every segment, especially if you are unable to save, look, look in terms of small pockets to make changes. There may not be big drastic things that you can cut, but there, there are habits that you may not have realized that have been built up. You're buying something that's more expensive and it, it permeates all your decision making. Really interesting. Do you think emotions, mastering your emotions is also important if you're going to start investing? Oh, absolutely. So that's a saying also that, you know, emotion is more important of uh, handling than the actual intellect, which means you can know everything in the world, but you don't know how to handle ups and downs. That will make it hard. So back to the point of investing and saving. While you save up also, move that money towards the investment front. 
don't let it idle in the bank account too much. Uh, learn the market cycle. That's where anyone, the best teacher is to be in the market itself, to do the actual thing. Then you realize, oh, there's ups and downs. I, I, feel, I feel stressed when it comes down. I feel uh, unreasonably happy when it goes up. So these are things that you need to understand going through the cycles. And use your savings to pour towards investments. You'll build that ability up over I years. I couldn't agree with you more. The best teacher is really getting skin in the game. Now, you are also part yeah. of YouTube's Creators for Impact program. And this, I understand, is launched in partnership with the Ministry of Home Affairs and the Ministry of Communications and Information meant to develop content around raising greater awareness on scam prevention. We have about a minute left on the clock. Just in a mm. nutshell, in, in the area of scam prevention, what have you been interested in? Mm. So my topic that I created was actually titled, I hacked into the mind of a scammer and found out their secret. So instead of showing plain scam statistics, I kind of wanted to put a story of thinking from a scammer's point of view. You know, have we seen their point of view? Have we understood their bad motivations? Because a lot of times, I guess many people are complacent and that's where they fall into scams. So I wanted to show a different perspective and hopefully when you, when you uh, watch that show, you kind of understand that it is something important to take note and anybody can be a scam victim. Oh, really interesting. So you get into the mind of a scammer, understand their motivations and perhaps save yourself from being manipulated in the process. Love it. Yes, Love it. absolutely. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Josh. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. And good luck with your channel. He's Josh Tan. The channel is called The Astute Parent. You can check him out on YouTube. Josh, I, I wish you all the success ahead and thank you for being with us here on Money FM 89.3. Are, are you a regular listener or will you be now? Uh, I will be. I will be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good to Listen hear. Listen and subscribe. Oh, yay. Hey. Well, he's Josh Chan. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company, everybody. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.